Welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law in Sport. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, as well as get to meet some of the personalities of the people who are working behind the scenes to keep sport running and to improve its professionalisation and make it a better environment for us to work in and to participate in. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome the wonderful I'm going to embarrass her. The wonderful Erica Montemore Ferreira. She is a Brazilian lawyer, specialising in sports lawyer. She's worked both in Brazil and in Spain. She's worked at UEFA as a legal counsel. And she joined uh, FIFA in 2000, December, I think it was, 2018, where she's now the head of FIFA player status department. Many of you have heard her speaking at our conferences and be familiar uh, with her. She's absolutely uh, one of the most, uh, I would say, charismatic people that I've met in sports law. Um, always willing to talk, been very supportive of law and sport and for me personally. So I'm absolutely delighted to have her on the podcast as I should say, as part of her role, obviously looking over, if you're not familiar with football or the or FIFA's player status department, she's responsible uh, for the resolution of contractual disputes, training compensation, international transfers related to matters uh, and uh, protection of minors, amongst many other things. And hopefully we'll come on to this in the podcast. Did a stellar job as a department and team and did something that I never thought was going to happen. And that was bring FIFA up to date with, with their caseload, which is just incredible. Um, last year, I think it was one of those sort of geeky achievements for those people who work in the sector. They knew how much work was involved in that. It really was something impressive, but we can hear a bit more about that. Erica, absolutely delighted to have you uh, with us today. Um, thanks for taking the time out to speak. I think you've got a cool, I think you've got a cool journey in terms of your, I would say this, um, you're a Brazilian lawyer, worked in Spain, ended up in Switzerland. Can you tell us how that happened? I'm fascinated to know. Um, and why? For sure. First of all, thank you, Sean, for, for the invitation. It's really, really a pleasure. I think we, we spoke many times, you know, not only about sports law, but about life. So it's, it's a pleasure to be here and share with you and, and everyone listening a bit of my, of my journey up until now. Um, so yes, I was born and raised in Brazil, um, in the family of four, four uh, so we were four siblings. And um, in 2007, I was already working as a lawyer in Brazil for around six six years. Already a lot of experience in corporate law and commercial. And, and at that point in time, I decided that I, I you know, I wanted to do um, a master and also see a bit of the world. Right. So I went to to Spain. And first I did a course in Barcelona in international law. Um, but my, let's say what I really wanted to do was sports law at that moment in time. But knowing, being from Brazil, it was quite an expensive master in Europe, in Euro. So it was like, okay, maybe not yet for me to, to do such investment, honestly. Uh, but then after I did the international law master and was working in Ramon y Cajal, a law firm in Barcelona, I actually got a scholarship from ISDE to do to do the the international the master in international sports law, and so I decided to then move to Madrid and do the the master in two thousand and eight. And following that, uh, I went to work uh, with Jose Ramon Pinto in Barcelona. But that's actually a funny story to start because um, when I came to do the master, it was only that. A sabbatical year to spend in Europe and go back home with some knowledge in my bag and, and my life experience. And that was it. 
Um, but then, you know, life gets in the way and things start happening. Uh, and so basically the first story is when I was in, 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 Sp- in Spain doing the, the master in Madrid, Jose Juan Pinto, which, which is, is, uh, became uh, my boss and then a very good friend asked me, what are you going to do after the master? And at that moment, I, I, I made a joke and I said, well, hopefully I'll work with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's because of that or not, but uh, jokes aside, I ended up working with him in Barcelona and it was a wonderful experience because, um, it was a different, right? Working with an arbitration, uh, with arbitrator, uh, such, with such experience, uh, really came to give me something else apart from being a lawyer. So it was a great experience. And then when I was working with, with, with Pinto in Barcelona, that's when also, of course, I was attending conferences and accompanying him to, to events. Um, and I had a chance to run again into Omar Ongaru, which at that time was the head of player status. And was also my professor in, in, in the master. And at that moment, um, I had already voiced to him that like any other student, right, of sports law, that my dream job was to work for FIFA. And at that moment, he said, do you still want to work for FIFA? And I was like, of course. And it's, then he said, well, there's openings uh, now at Players Agents. Of course, then I apply, HR, the whole process and so on. And that's how I ended up uh, coming to Switzerland. And this is where just to to really specified. So first I joined FIFA in February 2010 and I worked in player status up until 17. So for seven years I was here uh, as a legal counsel and then as a group leader. And then at one point in time it felt like, you know, I had reached the ceiling uh, and that I needed a different experience. And so I was lucky enough to, to join UEFA in disciplinary and financial fair play. Uh, where I get the, got the, you know, the, the chance and luck to work with Emilio Garcia and Alice Uh, and it was a very intense year, a year and a half, uh, of you know, a lot of uh, new learnings and experience in a different area from what I was used to work. And finally, when, when Emilio and Alice joined, um, FIFA after a while, that's when I got the wonderful and challenging invitation of coming to be the head of the Ascendants. And here, full honesty, my first answer was no. <laughs> not, be, not because it wasn't uh, amazing, but uh, it was a scary thought. And I was sure that I was, you know, I had the experience. I had more than seven years in, in, in contractor disputes and all, and all the other matters of player stages. I, you know, I, I had what it takes as a lawyer, but I wasn't sure if I could be the manager of such a big department. So it's one of the biggest, it's still the biggest department in, in, in the legal division. And so at that moment was no. <laughs> and, and of course he said, well, like, he, think he knew about you too it, well, you know, right? <laughs> he's like, yes, exactly. Like, I know you can do this and there's, there's no doubt. And at that moment, it took me a bit of soul searching and thinking, okay, why am I saying no, right? And I think it, it, it comes with, with everyone else, right? We, we're, we're humans, we're afraid of changes and leaving our comfort zone. Um, and it was like, okay, going back to the place it was, was before in a different, in a different position. And do you think, so, so, so within, within that, did you think that is, as much an innate, obviously human element and that you, you, you referred to, but do you also think that the, um, as it's been described, the characteristics that attracts people to law 
and the nature of lawyers in particular means they're particularly um, vulnerable to that because of all the you know critiquing every decision, right? Why yeah? Why am I doing this? What 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 could be the risks here, right? So you maybe overemphasize the risk rather than just being a bit more bullish and uh, giving it a go. For sure, I think it was a mixed feeling. So it was this for sure, being a lawyer and and overthinking. It's also being being a woman and <laughs> and wanting to be perfect in everything we do. Uh, and I think it also came with the fact that I was at what that point when I moved to UF, I said that's the last time I'm moving to a different place. You know, like I'm, I'm, it's difficult. We're going to talk about that for sure, but it's difficult every now and then moving and adapting and so on. So it was the three things, and also the fourth point was. Um, I know how much uh, a boss or a line manager or a leader has impact on, on the lives of everyone working with them. So it's a huge responsibility. And, and for me, it was like the decision I take going there or not will affect the whole department and the lives of, of you know, everyone that will work with me. And the question for me was, am I the right person for the job? And then doing some soul searching was I like, look, I have what it takes a lawyer. Uh, I, I've been there, so I know where the problem lies and what needs to be fixed or improved or, or can be changed. Um, and I think I have what it takes in the sense that I'm, I'm an empathic person and, you know, and, and I really am a people person. So I thought, okay, I know how much effect I can go there and I can learn the, the parts where I think I'm not ready yet. And then I decided to take the challenge and say, okay, it's, it's gonna, it's a risk. It's something new for me. It's being a manager, not only a lawyer. And let's do it. <laughs> and did that flip, did that flip then from anxiety to, to excitement when you made, when you finally made the decision? Did you suddenly go from, the, you know, going through all those points and, and then reassuring yourself, which I would argue the fact that you're having those, that thought process. And obviously I don't work with you. But I would like to think that the characteristics that you were talking about and the decision that you went through would make you a good leader for the reason that if you're compassionate about your workforce, your colleagues, and you care about them, right? Even if you maybe could be better with certain management skills or other areas, maybe at least you're probably going to look after people in the right way and, to, and that will give confidence within the team and, and move forward. So um, do you do you think that, yeah, did you move, if you're looking back, did you move from a state, was it a state of yeah, anxiety to excitement or was it something else? No, definitely. It, it was, it was, it was moved to, to excitement, but also you went to a mode where, okay, I need to be ready. So, you know, studying about leadership and understanding models of leadership and coaching sessions and, and, you know, everything and that I could look get at, my, my hands on. And what did you look at? What were some of the, um, you know, I, I love looking at leadership stuff. I'm not very good at it. Uh, well, actually, I'm a good, uh, okay, leader, not a good manager. But the, that's a different point. But the, um, um, the what, what was the um, reference materials you were looking at? So have you got any books that you were looking into that you thought particularly useful? Look, I probably won't remember everything because I look at many things. <laughs> I did coaching sessions. I looked at books. And it was basically oh, trying to find, first of all, my identity. As you said, it's not so easy to go from manager or leader or finding the, the right balance. Um, and also looking at myself, because Brazilians, we were, I cannot generalize, but I am quite sensitive. And also it's hard for me to say no sometimes in my personal uh, sphere. So it basically was like, okay, I need, you know, 
to be a good boss and being a good boss means including people also, but also making decisions and giving feedback and constructive criticism and saying no every now and then or, or quite a lot. So it was trying to, to find ways to do that in a way that I'm um, giving and allowing the people in my team to grow and to be independent. And because I really believe in, in teamwork and I really believe that everybody needs to, to be at the same level. So it, it was, it was this, it was a big challenge and still is because I'd say every day we continue. I didn't, I didn't stop in, in the master in, in sports law. After that, I did in CIA sports and, and marketing management because I think it's important also to understand the rest of the game and not only the, the, the legal part. Um, and, and I'm always doing something new uh, to learn about myself and to continue growing because I think it's, it's definitely, yeah, checks and balances. So I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. <laughs> so you've got, got two things that I want to ask you then. So how did you go about, um, was the coach provided by FIFA or does it, do you have to go and source a coach? Look, so, at, that uh, moment, you... at that moment in time, it was first personal because I was still, I was still, I had quit Wi-Fi and I was still not yet in FIFA. So this was the first part was me investing in that. Uh, but I have to say currently FIFA does promote a lot of internal trainings and, and, and coaching sessions individual for the team. So, um, I recently had one in time management and it was really interesting and taught me a, a lot about myself and about the team. So there is, there is constant uh, That's amazing. training for that. Okay. I could do with that training myself. Kimberly, Kimberly Morris is doing an amazing job. Yeah. Joe, jo, I was thinking that's immediately yeah. that sprung to sprung to mind actually, because Kimberly was, uh, um, the head of TMS, the transfer matching system. Exactly. Um, and, now she's and chief she's, of HR. Uh, yeah. And that's chief of HR. It was interesting because I thought that, I thought that sounds like someone has, again, has got a great understanding of, under, you know, of why, yeah. um, continuing education yeah. outside of just the legal skill set um exactly is so and, important and, and margot clemens is, is one of the, the coaches the coaches that i they used here in fifa as well and yeah. i i used before personally and, and she has great input as really, well. so oh, there's great. a lot of Fantastic. information that you can use mm. you know not and i always say and it's, 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 you cannot really divide right some things you can use in your personal life other things in your professional life is all mixed of it and yeah absolutely it's all about being better isn't it like trying, yeah. trying to advance and, yourself and, and then again you know i, I do therapy as well you know for me personally yeah, yeah. it all affects at the end how you interact with with everyone else do you know what? You've now made me oh, rather brilliantly. I forgot what my second question was. There was, ah, I remember what it was now. You mentioned something. You got me thinking, one, I just, again, you know, you've always been very candid with me anyway. And again, I think there's there's a wave of lawyers like yourself who are coming through the system who um, are just much more willing to talk about the fact that, again, they need support, right? You're not just a finished product at any moment in time, as brilliant as you are. It's great that someone like yourselves, because for a lot of people, they look at someone like yourself, and obviously, I've I've told you, I don't mind embarrassing you. I think you're an excellent public speaker, and you may be very nervous when I was speaking at the FIFA Law Conference because I said you're, you know, we both talk very quickly, but you are very well paced and and really clear, and 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 um, I was very impressed with the presentation that you gave and your presentation style. 
And people can look at that from having limited interactions and just think, oh, you're the complete, you know, are you this person who is always this complete product as such, right? You know, the person who presents very well, you know, knows how to deal with difficult questions and stuff like that. And then when you get to know you, it's an ongoing process, right? There's a lot of work that's gone in to get to this point. Um, so I think it's really great to, to hear that there's a continuing project and that you're continuing looking for support and there's challenges facing you. I think the more senior people like yourself explain that, to people, the the better it is for us all because everyone feels much more comfortable then with with showing that they need uh, support. One of the things that I can't empathise with because uh, I'm not a woman, um, uh, not not fully anyway. I can't empathise with is that you said something that I want to sort of draw into a little bit, um, which was you felt that as a woman you needed to be the finished product. What does that? What did that mean in terms of? Why is that the case? What What is the expectation of you, or at least back then was the expectation of you? If that's still the case now, I'm not sure. But you know, what was what did you feel that the you know whether it was a real expectation or a perceived expectation? I don't know. I again, this is my my personal experience, and also you know, reading a lot and 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 seeing interviews. Once I, I saw that where they said boys are usually encouraged to you know just try every sport in school and just you know have at it. And, and we are like, suppose, I don't know, at least in my generation, do ballet and do this and do that. And everything needs to be, you need to be a, a straight A student and be the best ballerina and, and so on. So it's this feeling that you're supposed to be perfect. And also I'm very self-demanding. So that's also on me. Um, so I think that comes from, from thinking that everything needs to be perfect. And I think life shows you another way and, and then also therapy and, Things that are not under our control, which, you know, maybe we went into that, but I recently had to go through, yeah, through health issues. So I think life teaches you that it's, it's not like that. But I think it's important to talk about it as well. You know, we don't need to be perfect and we can do many things at the same time and maybe be good at most of them, but we don't need to be the best at everything we do. We can strive for that and we should, but we don't need to be perfect. So I, I totally agree. <laughs> Having not been, <laughs> I'm not very good at most things, but uh, I sort of stumble along anyway. But the one, it's again, it's one of the, the, the it's funny as you say this. Obviously, we run a, a global mentoring program, obviously, work with thousands and thousands of lawyers from around the world. It really is a troubling trend in the profession that I see. Very excellent people, both academically in terms of how they conduct themselves, who are literally tie themselves in knots time and time again for this, for that. For the for not being perfect, right? I mean, I've spoke to people who've got the, the some really fantastic opportunities, and they're literally um, tearing themselves to shreds because it's not not quite perfect, as you're saying. I think you know, again, the, the more we can do to trickle that type of attitude down, I think it's great that people strive. Don't get me wrong, and you should try your best, but I think having some balance there is important. Um, now, coming on to the, the, yeah, I want to get into some of the cases and things that you find or developments you find particularly interesting. But um, you mentioned that you went through a, a difficult um, personal circumstance. Do you just want to, um, yeah, whatever you're comfortable to talk about? Um, do you just want to just talk about that? Because as I said, I yeah, you and uh, there's a few other people that that, that um, yeah, you know, colleagues of yours. Um, the, 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 anyway, let's just say you've got more class than I have, right? If I get a cold, I'm crying on the phone to people. Our oh, life's so tough. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I've got much strength of character when it comes to things like this. But, um, you know, 
Uh, did you just want to talk because you know, I said your attitude and just generally anyway was something that, that, that I've, I found really inspiring, um, refreshing and encouraging. And so can you just tell whatever you're comfortable to, to share with people? Sure. So in, in October 2019, um, I went home to, to visit my family. So as a Brazilian uh, and especially me, I'm very, very, very attached to my family. And so we're in, in contact daily and I usually go twice a year before COVID to Brazil. Um, and at that moment, my sister, um, so my sister had breast cancer, okay, and as well. And so she was doing a surgery just to, you know, a surgery to fix some problems. And I came to, to be with her and, and take care of my nieces and I decided to just do a checkup. So I, I call it, I don't know what you believe in, but God or the universe really protected me at that moment in time. And I decided to do the checkup and, and I found that I, I had a breast cancer. Um, everything happened really fast because it was quite an aggressive one. And so I found out and a week later I was doing surgery and um, I did uh, the surgery to remove uh, both. And I also went to chemotherapy and, and radiotherapy. And what happened is when I found out, my first reaction was, uh, again, I called, I called Emilio and I said that I quit um, and explained. And I said, I can't do both right now. And I, he said, no, I, I reject your, your <laughs> I, I do not accept that. And, uh, you know, we, we're together in this. And I got so much support from him and the team and the family and everyone. But it was that moment, you know, that you really see we have no control what was going on. And first, uh, I really have to say that I, I fell. I was underground. I was crying for, for a week. I didn't know what to do. But then at one point, it was like either I choose to go through this crying for six months or I will, you know, do the best that I can and take this uh, in, in a nice way and with the support of everyone. And so I did. And it was really a game change for me because it, it changed the way I see things, where I see life, and also myself. So first of all, when that happened, I was really open about this with everyone. I actually sent a video to my team to, to explain what was going on. Um, my hair fell when, after the second chemotherapy, and I just decided to wear my baldness with pride. <laughs> I didn't put a wig or anything on it and and I just felt like this is what I'm going through and and I don't need to hide right that that's what it is and I was lucky enough that everything went well and and the treatment was went well and of course I need to do a checkup every four months but everything is is up and running and it really taught me to see me with a different look and I remember not just the hair, the scene, <laughs> right? not just the hair. I remember, I remember when I when I when I went because that that was a beautiful story. When my start, my my hair started falling. Um, it was very difficult because it was slowly going. Uh, and one day, I just felt like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to shake my head. And so my brother told me, my my older brother told me, you know, wait, I'm, uh, we're coming with with you. So my little brother and my older brother. And they went with me. And first they said, okay, you want to go to your hair salon? I was like, no, let's go to a barber shop. I don't need, I don't need the drama. I don't need the drama. So we went to a barber shop. And then they started shaving my head. Of course, I was crying, you know, movie scene. And then when she, she finished shaving, I looked at the mirror. I was like, I actually look beautiful. 
you know? And I stop crying, but then I look to the right and I see both my brothers also shaving their heads in solidarity. <laughs> and I start crying again. But, you know, long story short is to say that after that, I said, if I look good bold, why would I ever like was worried if I was, you know, five kilos more or less or if my hair was not looking good. So it really gave me a sense of like, I'm beautiful the way I, the way I am. And, you know, it, it changed my self-confidence. It's, it's funny to so say it, it sounds It sounds like... Um... It sounds like this is a, that you know one. I think you know your attitude's been fantastic. Like I said, I dread to think if I ever had to deal with such a situation, or relatives had to deal with such a situation. I haven't. Luckily, I haven't. Not as proximate to me, just distant relatives and friends that I've had, and it's been difficult. But dealing with myself, I, I dread to think how I'd deal with it. Like as in this, it must be absolutely terrifying. And I think the the, the key thing is, it sounds like you reached a point of acceptance. Right, relatively like the grieving process and then acceptance um you know uh, and then then the fight comes in you right i can tell you got that <laughs> you know you're very friendly um, and charming but you know you yeah you've got a bit of fight in you haven't you obviously um and it just sounds great that you got had so much uh support from Emilio and the team and uh from your family your brothers sound really cool um and i know and the one story is that people want to I, I love this i've never met your father but he tunes into some of the webinars which i just love when you're speaking <laughs> he tunes in which i just think is absolutely fantastic i love that in terms of um it's really awesome um in terms of though the um the acceptance of who you are and I've, I, you know, I'm definitely a firm believer of, you know, we build up, we've got all these insecurities and and consistently have to deal with them all the time. Right. Okay. Reoccur and everything else that, you know, there is only one of you. That's what makes you unique. Everyone, right. Like as in, there's only one of us in, in the world. That's, and that's pretty special in terms of like you said, it changed your perspective. How much has that has lasted? So that was, how long ago was that now since you've, since you finished chemo and you've been in remission? Uh, so the chemo, uh, that was since, well, it's been a year now, wow. since last May. Because you spoke at a conference with a shaved yeah. head and I remember like, because you didn't even tell exactly, me. Yeah, this, My yeah that's right, because you didn't even tell me, right? So we were just chatting, you were like, la, 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 catching up and she, and I was like, she was like, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, yeah, I had cancer and then moved on. And I was like, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know how to, 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 to approach the topic, but the, um, uh, you know, again, you, you know, you were just like you are now. Then uh, when we when we spoke over a year, and that's what I said. It, it blew my mind in terms of the, uh, you know, there's people like yourself uh, and some others, uh, and it's their story, story to tell. Though have got such dignity in their adversity, and as I said, I'm embarrassed sometimes in terms of things that get me stressed, <laughs> and I feel like the world's going to collapse. Um, people have different thresholds. Um, in terms of then, so that was wow. So it was, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, really, and and. So how was that like, um, what were some of the changes that you made? And then what was the adjustments when you came? Because there was a lot of things going on at the time. So in the context of this, FIFA have gone through this transformational reform with Emilio and Alistair just pushing reforms through. The dry, again, they're going to uh, you know, give me a nervous breakdown with all the reforms and you guys. Because uh, like, <laughs> every time I feel like I'm just getting the hang of things, something else changes. Um, how did you, so I guess, uh, you know, forgive me. I'm not known for. I reckon I've got part. I'm part Brazilian somewhere, somewhere in me. I'm not known for being <laughs> succinct. Um, I'm, I'm wondering how long it lasted, right? Some of these are they still with you? Are these changes? And if you can describe them, and then I'd like to know how it affected your work in terms of your approach, because you look, this be everyone should know, as I understand it, as lovely as Emilio is, Emilio Garcia. As lovely as he is, he's a taskmaster as far as I understand it, right? He still expects people to work. So how did you, yeah, what are the lasting impacts? And then and are they, are they still there? And um, then how is it? how have you adjusted to work 
in terms of perspective? Because you're already quite a compassionate person. Look, I think first is the fact that, as you said, not only all the transfer reform, but on top of that, add COVID to the to, to the to the equation, right? Because when I came back, so because I did a treatment in Brazil, so I, I physically came back to to Zurich last June, because when I finished uh, the treatment, uh, basically we we're in lockdown, and I had to wait until June to, to things to open up and be able to to physically come back. Um, and on top of that is this, I thought I knew everything about sports law and contractual disputes and, and registration periods and so on. And then COVID came and we had to rethink everything because, you know, for the first time in forever, football uh, was suspended and we need to review the rules. So this this was quite challenging. And and I'm not going to lie. So chemotherapy for a while kills your brain cells and your eye was really slow. So it was difficult to even interact and, and reply to emails and, and catch up. And in the middle of this is everything going on at the same time. So I think the first few months were quite difficult. Um, but then slowly I, I got hang of it and people were very nice to me. So my team is, is really strong and, and, and they were with me along the way. Um, and you, actually you need to be alert, I would say, because it's very easy to fall back on, you know, we're, we're, humans are <laughs> creatures of habits and it's very easy to go back to the way you were or where we were before. So I try as much as possible, you know, to be alert, to do yoga, to do to, to meditation and pay attention to, to the things I'm doing and drawing a line. Because as you said, there's so many different uh, projects and things we need to do that it's easy to just keep working and you're always going to have something else to do. So it's really knowing to draw a line because if one thing that I really learned, and it's funny, some people think I'm crazy, but I'm thankful to what happened to me because I think I could have reached 70 and then look back and think, oh, maybe I would have done things differently. And and the first weeks until I got the result, uh, I didn't know if it was spread or not and felt, what if I die tomorrow, right? Is this how I want to live? Is this the people I want by my side? Is this the job that I want? Like, you really think through. And I think I have the chance to correct things that maybe I was a bit workaholic before and now that I'm not anymore, but now I have, you know, balance. I try to put, draw a line on things and, and respect myself and put myself first. And probably I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't have such experience and really understand, you know, what are the limits and, and, and what is important and so on. So don't take me wrong. I love my job, but still, uh, <laughs> it, that the job doesn't define me, right? That's, that's different thing. No, absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a huge issue. And I think it's very interesting in, in sport because everyone talks about the athlete transition, right? being a huge issue and it is obviously a huge issue but really it's one of a question of identity how one defines themselves and in you see this in in law in particular right the big achievement is getting your law degree becoming a lawyer and everyone's striving 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 and i've seen this over the years people get to 20 years 20 years in and they're like what am i doing why am i doing actually i don't know i just on this the, yeah, I didn't stop and think what is actually truly, what do I stand for? What do I represent? What do I want to do? I just am going, going, going. Um, yeah, and the momentum just takes them. I think everyone's struggling with that. The question I've got for you then is, do you think, given now that you've put in, let's say, they call them buffers, right, in terms of making sure you've got enough... Um, and I think, again, speaking to so many people on a day-to-day -day basis, so many people are struggling with this issue, myself included, all of the time. 
right? Every day is a battle, right? To try and create enough um, uh, space, right? So you can see the wood through the trees as such and not get the momentum caught with you and just being reactive. Do you think it's improved your work? Do you think that experience, because it sounds to me when we spoke previously as well, that, that you're actually... And maybe just display more confidence, and you maybe just slightly happier. But uh, but do you think it's actually improved your 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 actual output as well? So doing slightly less and having a bit more perspective. For sure, I think first of all, I really learned to delegate more, <laughs> knowing that that's the limit, which I think is also good for the team that I delegate more. Um, I think it made me be more assertive because I'm focusing what I'm doing and making sure I. I have the time to do also my personal stuff and take care of my house and so on. So I definitely made a bit of a separation on that. And before I just felt like uh, you know pilot mode and doing everything and, and not saying no to, to things and not delegating and it definitely changed that in that way. But at the same time, don't, 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 I don't want to lie here in the sense that it's still, it's an everyday, you know, reminder to do that. Uh, at one point, not only because of work, but you know, with COVID, we're all connected and we're working from home and, and everything kind of blurs in one thing. At one point, so yes, I have, I have a coaching, a personal coach that, that also went through, um, through a cancer, but a brain tumor. So, and, and, you know, with her, it's kind of like doing a plan to make sure I stick to the routine I want from a personal life, right? So, doing the yoga, going for a walk every day and eating healthier, cooking. So all the little things uh, that will give me more. Um, do, do, do you do a habit tracker or something like that? Because I, I, I do it infrequently. And every time I break away from doing it, like as in I like go, are you going to meditate? Are you going to do a bit of exercise? Are you do And I try and track it. Where every time I think I've got it under control, I naturally, you go, I don't need it. And that's when like, you know, I put like uh, uh, huge amounts of weight on. I start to get aches and pains and injuries from bad posture and everything because I'm not doing the yoga, not doing, you know, uh, whatever it is, meditation or just going for even just the basic of going for a walk. Um, you know, you get stuck on a mobile because you either get, you know, I don't know about you, but with mobile phones, they're deadly because you go to go for a walk and then you see an email pop up or something exactly. or WhatsApp or, and then you just lose, lose track and next, you know, half hour's gone and you've lost your time to go for a walk. Yeah. No. So what I'm, I'm doing very old school with the last, uh, <laughs> leadership that I told you I had inside is really to have a to-do list, a paper one, you know, and I include also my personal activities to make sure that, you know, I'm not forgetting that and like being required to work. Um, but then again, I know that I need to have some flexibility because of work as well. So we need to adapt, but making sure that even if for one day I don't stick to the routine I wanted, the next day we're back into it. Because also otherwise I'm just putting more pressure on myself, right? So it's also agree, finding yeah. the balance there. Yeah. Well, what I also <laughs> find that, that from a resilience perspective, they find that, that um, I think in the power of habit, they talk about this in the sense that even... When you're so, when they're sober, basically when they're, when they're not when they're not when they're not drinking, um, even if they relapse, the the trying to not relapse again makes them stronger the next time round, right? If they were to relapse any moment in time, you know, that, so you you can build that up over time. Um, look, I I think it's awesome that one you're talking about it, and I think. Um, and it's great to get the insight because I think this other point of which people struggle with is like getting in routines. And again, the natural, if you're someone who's like a type personality, you're trying to drive forward and you break a routine, that can be a huge source of stress, <laughs> right? If you So having that adaptability of going, okay, it's okay, I'll come back to it tomorrow. Such a great point. Um, and then in terms of your work, obviously you went from being you know a great lawyer to, to, to becoming this manager. 
In terms of like, can you describe what your sort of day-to-day workloads like and what some of the, the sort of exciting projects you've been involved with or stuff that you're proudest, I guess, to be, to, to, uh, be involved in? Look, I think, first of all, I'm, I'm proud to be part of, of this, this team and proud of everything that has been changing. You know that, Jen. I think for more than 10 years, things were very flat, with not a lot of changes internally or in the regulations and the whole system. And then, you know, uh, around 2016, uh, with Infantino coming in, so not only the Football Stakeholders Committee was, was established with the whole conversation and discussion with the stakeholders, but then, you know, triggering, triggering the, the reform, but also internally, since I'm back with, with Emilio and others there, you've seen all the changes done to be more efficient, to go from faxes to, to, to emails to cleaning the backlog. So I, the, what I'm most proud of is to be part of this change. And it's really, if we go back two years to now, it's amazing the amount of projects, the amount of achievements we've, we've done. And although we know that there's a long way still to do, it's just exciting to be inside and seeing, you know, after I did the master and I was working here for seven years and things were more or less stable and I thought that's it. And all of a sudden it's, it's every day a new thing going on. I think I think it's one of the biggest transformations I've I've sit like in honestly it's just huge and I did ask Emilio about this in terms of hopefully we get him on the podcast at some point <laughs> and he he was just like yeah we you know we just worked very hard and got re- refocused and it's really exciting and 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 I said like I always feel slightly conflicted because it's so easy to used to bash FIFA in terms of there were so many things that used to drive me nuts because that's just from a just from a regulatory perspective it was a difficult because you go hold on what standards are expected and you'd have to get four documents up and you'd be cross-referencing them and it was so challenging to have this consolidation just on that basis and then let alone the FIFA legal stuff which the legal.fifa.com which I just think is fantastic and everyone should be following suit with that and being more transparent. Um, yeah, I always feel slightly conflicted though, because there are areas that need to be improved, but I kind of sit there and go, wow, this is, uh, I say it all the time though, but it is crazy to think it, you know, I speak to journalists about this who are some of the most ferocious critics of FIFA. Even they would happily acknowledge now that, that the changes have been, um, and, and it's not saying it's perfect by any stretch of imagination, but they've been, I mean, it's really um, something that we didn't think was going to happen. So I can totally, um, you know, uh, thank you for your work in that regards because it is particularly the efficiency with caseloads has been something that I found just as a real um, observer, let's say, of the profession um, and people working in the profession was something that was was causing an inability of access to justice, right, for a lot of people. So, so just on a basic level, if you believe in sort of rule of law, just processing those claims and those cases uh, much uh, faster is, is a, uh, has a huge knock-on benefit to the wider football community because everyone has much more legal certainty, um, you know, and actually get access to justice <laughs> rather than having like, you know, having a year wait uh, for your case to be heard. Um, and then in terms of like how how then, what was the shift in, in terms of, oh, she talked about it from, from going from being a lawyer to then managing such a big team. What was the, you know, what was the key sort of attributes? You said delegation being one of them, but what are the other key attributes? Because you had to pick up. Look, the thing is, there's, as you know, there's so many projects uh, going on that sometimes for me it's difficult to be on a day-to-day, you know, of case handling or the transfers and so on. So I try to be in as much as possible and, of course, always on the loop. But at the same time, it's important that I see, for example, Football Stakeholders Committee is under professional football with Ornella, which is another, it's an amazing 
person and woman. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, brilliant. And she's leading the discussions, but because, they, of course, they affect player status and they need also information on, on everything that's going on. I, I sit also in the discussions and I'm there. So that's, of, of course, um, takes time. So I need to be there, but at the same time, be here with the team and participate in meetings and coordinate with the other departments in the subdivision, the football regulatory. So um, it's quite demanding, but I try as much as possible to be part of all. Um, but definitely, uh, I can't do as much as I wanted with cases. So I do miss sometimes being a lawyer, <laughs> you know, because of course, nowadays, being a manager takes, takes a lot of my time as well. Um, but I take this is, is the phase I'm in and, and every day, every day I learn working with the team and, and understanding how to, to be the best manager and leader I can be. And what do you look for in terms of, you know, I'm always asking these type of questions to me because I'm finding it fascinating. What do you look for, for, um, colleagues right? when you're either hiring people or, you know, looking for people, what is it that you identify as characteristics in which you want people to be part of your team? I think that that's a difficult question in, in two senses, because I can, of course, what I, what I want is someone that is, is passionate and that is willing to work in a team. So someone that wants to work in collaboration. I do look for people that um, are proactive and can work autonomously, but at the same time, what I learned leading the team is that this is, um, I don't know what kind of reference I can use, but maybe a patchwork or something that you need to build the team in a way that makes sense, right? Because you need to learn also to see, maybe have someone that is more shy and then I have this person that has a very strong character and is, and also the languages and the cultures that we have. Um, we have people from all over the world. So you really need to make sure that you can spot the talent, but also see how that person will fit in that particular group in the team. So it is, it is, it is not a, an easy task. And it's also something that you need to check every now and then to see how everything is working and how can you better organize everything. So, so, so how, how would you then say, say, for example, of one, I think that's, such a great explanation and you know i i'm terrible with this type of stuff and you know because it is so complex to build a good team it's like the different personality types as it you know managing people is a challenge right like as in because you have to it, it takes energy and understanding and some people are better than others um and, and, and you, know, you need to take hard decisions as well and that's that's not yeah. easy because it's not personal no. but it's a person at the end of that decision or at the end of that criticism or so it's 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 for me it's tough <laughs> yeah because that's the that's one of the things you identified earlier which was one of the, the, the you know the big the big points and i do think yeah i can imagine that is really challenging right if you're that type of person that you like people you're very sociable and then you gotta make some of these difficult decisions separating that personal and professional side can be a, a real challenge in terms of um how do you do you talent spot for say you've got someone who's more introverted someone who's extroverted how do you talent spot to go in terms of the team that i've got because you've got a big team what are we kind of missing then and no doubt you work quite closely obviously as you said with kimberly um on on that type of stuff yeah so i think first of all is this like i'm always trying to to improve myself and learn and have different set of skills and Sometimes I reach out to HR and, and ask specifically for training in something that I think I'm lacking or that I think I need improvement. And sometimes also for the team, as I told you, we do the time management with the, the entire team. Um, 
And I think it's, it's, that's the, it's trying to find the right person for what you need, right? First of all, because depending on what task they're going to work with, you need someone that probably work more independently or work in a team or will need to maybe give presentations. So you need to look the set of skills. Here, we always need to look at languages as well because you need to have a balance because we have cases in French, Spanish, German, and English, and you need to make sure you have the different set of skills for that as well. Um, and I, I, I don't have a magic formula, but it's basically to say that also balance between someone more junior and someone, uh, not everybody can be a group leader, right? And so you need to make sure you have also, people in different areas and different phases in their career as well. So recently, I, I hired Beatrice, and she started in February. She's a junior lawyer, but with a lot of experience in Brazil because in Brazil already in the university you're working. Uh, so I think it's also the different cultures. It makes it very interesting and That's so interesting. It just taught me taught me a lot. I think. Well, Joe, the reason why I said this and the reason why I was, I was pushing on this is there were people listening to the podcast who go, you know. And hopefully after, you know, I'm, I may run a job at FIFA, but would I be the right person? Could I do it? And I think it should give everyone hope that there's opportunities um, for all types of people, from all different backgrounds, from all different skill sets, right? Because it depends on, as you were saying, what was required at the time, yeah. right? Yeah. If Yeah. I feel like, for example, the first time I actually applied, when I told you in 2010, first uh, I was interviewed for a position, but they needed French. At that moment in time, I didn't speak French. So... It was a no. And then after two months, they opened one that I need English and Spanish. And then I was hired. You know, after two years in Spain, I, I, I had to learn Spanish. So it's basically, you know, the timing as well. So sometimes it's not that you're not good enough or you don't have the set of skills, but it's what they're looking for. But what I can say is for sure that you need to be prepared for the opportunities. You need to keep on, on you know, studying and, and practicing. And you need the languages in working in sports law because... You know, it's always going to have, it's going to give you a, an advantage, right? If you speak English, but also Spanish or also French, for sure, you have something else. Apart from your, your thing as, as, you're, you're a lawyer. I, as you're saying this, I'm literally thinking to myself, man, I need to get on that Spanish course. <laughs> keep saying I'm going to do a Spanish course. And I never do it, right? Because I keep saying it, but I never do it. Um, I need to commit now, at look, some point. Don't take me um, wrong. We have, like, recently you have Yolan that is from South Africa and she speaks English. So it's not that you have to, but I'm just saying sometimes no, no, you know. might have it's, that as, as one more thing because we know every time I open a position in a week we have 200 uh, applications so of course then you need to see and I always say that I like to see more women applying every time I open a position the amount of candidates I have is really unbalanced as well so I don't yeah. know if it's you know they're not brave enough or what we're on our our mentoring scheme we've we've now got we've got 36 this year's intake is 36 and we've got 50 50 pretty much male female because we're even though the applications were much higher in terms of men we just were like look we either become a part of the problem we're either part of the solution or part of the problem Mm -hmm. right it's either that is it right in a sense because unfortunately if you look at the legal system worldwide it's still predominantly Male dominated, particularly white male dominated. We have more women um, than men. And in I think that's. <laughs> oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But the um, but the thing is, is what like you said, we I think we do need to look at these. Uh, I've been advocating for this for a while, and I'm not again. It can't be not one organization, not one, but it has to be collective. But you know, whether it's on a, a pick, pick a metric on diversity, but the um, you know, we need to do more like 
going down a few levels, right? They're not looking at the source of the problem, right? So even if you look at the master's situation, right? And I've been lobbying some of these programs to do more scholarships, right? Um, and more targeted scholarships. And then we're having conversations with, with various organizations that are looking into this because it's like you're creating, you know, that funnel itself is a problem, right? Like as in only if certain type of demographic of people can even afford with a scholarship at times, if it's only a partial scholarship, afford to actually get there in the first place. And so, um, no, it's brilliant that, that, that you've got, yeah, that it's something that you're looking at and dealing with. And in terms of like, what would you say has been the highlight of your career? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the thing you look back I, with I like, like as I in hope up it's the next obviously. thing but I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, jokes aside definitely I would say was, was so far being being offered a position of, of head of in, in player status and coming back here and being able to be part of the change and continue to be part of, of all the projects by Mara Emilio and I think, of course, you need to ask the people working with me. But when when I was away for 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 my treatment, I was you know I I received so many messages from them that they were waiting for me and so on. That uh, I really think, yeah, I I found my <laughs> I found my place and that balance oh. between being a lawyer but also being good with people and liking liking that part of the job as well even though sometimes it's, it's hard it's also very fulfilling erica let you know this i love your energy i think you're a great human being um like i said we didn't really talk about that much sports law stuff um but who cares as far as i'm concerned i think people would have got a lot of value i know i've certainly just from our conversations and like i said I, and one of the things we didn't even talk about there's so many things we haven't talked about yet um that i'm just thinking about was like we need a part two <laughs> we need a part two yeah which was yeah again like because i think it was so i think it's i'm always someone who's just a typical Englishman, British, you know, former European, sadly, um, you know, but European at heart, um, but particularly typical stereotypical Londoner uh, who doesn't leave the country that much, right, if they can help it. To, 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 uh, there's a few people in sports or I've met like yourself who have been to been bold and made moves to, to go and study abroad and do things like that. And obviously there's ability to have the opportunity financially to do it obviously helps to a degree, but there's a lot of people who stretch themselves to do it, right? They make, they, you know, they weigh up a whole bunch of other factors and they go and, as you were saying about the masters, couldn't really afford to do it. Luckily you got a scholarship. Uh, I find that attitude in itself just absolutely fascinating because like I said, I probably would have doing my own internal risk assessment, not take that step. And I just find it fascinating in terms of like the, right, this is, you know, what what is that, right? And I think maybe there's a separate podcast to be had or, or webinar with a few of you who have taken those sort of manoeuvres. I do think it's something that, that I find um, intriguing and exciting and also wonder if it's a characteristic of, you know, these people, people like yourself have been very successful. If it's a characteristic, even if you can't, uh, so you do that or you don't want to be as bold to do that or um, but if it's something you could learn from you know taking the initiative and doing something adventurous I think maybe um, maybe it's, it's a combination of things but it's also taking the opportunities outside because as I told you for, for first it was just to go for a while to do this master and come back and then things kept happening and opportunities and doors opening and, and I just went in right uh, but trust me it wasn't easy if people that know me Today, I have no idea, but I was super shy. And when I moved to Spain, I hardly spoke Spanish. 
And I think, you know, you put yourself in that situation and then you just learn to get out of a comfort zone. But still today, as I told you, I get nervous every time I need to do a lecture because <laughs> my, 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 my personality is still very, very shy. And so it's difficult, but then you, you do it and afterwards you feel amazing. And as, as we said, the fact that you get nervous also means that you're still enjoying doing it, right? So you, you're doing something right. You're, you're not like, okay, I don't care. I'm just going to do that and that's it. But I have to say one point of this that you're saying about moving to a different culture. I think at one point I kind of got myself lost. I don't know if that's the word, the right way of saying it, or if maybe it's a Brazilian saying that. But in the beginning, when especially not Spain, but in, in Switzerland, it's quite a different culture, right? It's completely the opposite of Brazil. And I think I tried too much to fit in. And then I, was, I didn't feel myself anymore, right? So trying to hold back because also it's different, you know. And then at one point I realized, no, I need to be just be myself and authentic, right? But sometimes I think there's this need when you come from, from a different country and a different culture and you, you want to be, you want to fit in. And it's, 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 it's a difficult battle. Well, people want to assimilate, don't they? And, and I think... I think everyone, because uh, we do, I do loads of sort of career coaching with people over the years in terms of where they're at. And uh, as I said, the amount of people, myself included, find yourself doing stuff because you're just trying, whether it is doing degrees. I thought I wanted to qualify as a lawyer because I'd really just wanted the prestige of being a lawyer. Right, so I did my law, my law conversion and I really thought, oh, if I can become a qualified lawyer, then people will actually listen to me. I can be a positive influence. That was, I felt, felt that that was the thing because of in, in a massive insecurity about my academics, right? And that really wasn't the case. And I think a lot of people, whether it is going abroad or ever, we find ourselves getting caught up in, again, trying to, we would, in the, in England, we, in Britain, we say like, keeping up with the Joneses is the phrase, right? You, you know, <laughs> so you're, you're just trying to follow what everyone else does. And I would argue, if we look at sort of social media and sports law now, I would argue a lot of that is taking place right now. I see it. I think it's quite, I see it as being quite sad because I feel like we've gone backwards over the last few years. Like as everyone's like, chasing the hustle as such as i would say i can't think of a better way to phrase it but everyone's so trying to like get ahead and moving forward like on the, on the social media platforms encourage this type of boastful behavior it's so easy to get caught up in that um i think it's a real challenge for some of these youngsters coming through um one of the things i was going to ask you uh before we go like i said i've got so many more questions i want to ask you but i'm just conscious of time um given all of the that you've got the, the massive team looking after right you're obviously now making sure you're carving out time for meditation for yoga for walk you know keeping having these checks and balances in place you're doing coaching you're doing all these other different bits and bobs right and 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 the volume of work you've got is not a small amount of work right like as in it's a huge volume of work that you've got that is in workload how are you and maybe it's relevant because you've just done this time management course, but how are you keeping a, keeping on top of, because you're someone who's, who's obviously curious, you care about keeping yourself up to date with information, right? You, no doubt that created a level of insecurity as well, like not keeping up. To, you know, someone like yourself who loves to do, edu like, loves to put themselves on courses and keep ahead of things. How are you keeping abreast of important information and managing the communication? Because just as I know that I'm drowning, respective of what I've got, I'd, I'd imagine your workload's even higher than mine. I drown. I feel like I'm losing control in terms of keeping abreast of information at the moment because there's so much coming at me. How do you how do you approach so that? First, I try to really reserve time to read the things I, I think are important. So, you know, whenever I receive a CAS award that I think it's important for me and it's related to contractual dispute or even to disciplinary. So, really 
setting aside time to keep myself updated. Also, I need to thank, you know, internally everything that is being done, all the changes. So, for example, in my team, I think it's important to share as much as information as possible because I think really the team is as strong as, as the weakest link. So we all need to be the same page. So whenever there are interesting cases, we hold sessions, you know, to discuss maybe once a month or whenever there's interesting jurisprudence. So everybody is, is, is informed. Um, also, you know, there's, we try to do summaries of the CAS decisions. So Knowledge Hub internally does that and provides us with this. So I think it's trying as much as possible to set time to read what is important. And then we, we are lucky to have one sport, for example, <laughs> of course, <laughs> not, not, not jokes aside, but really to try to detect what are the, the good sources that will give you an overview of everything and set aside time. I'm not going to lie that I can read everything because that's nearly impossible, but prioritizing, right? What is important now? What do I need? And I rely a lot on my team. So if I need a research to discuss when in the football stakeholders committee, then I've got the group that is specialized in transfer or in minors or in contractor dispute and help me with the memo or with information or a brainstorming. So it's trying to, first of all, accept that we're not going to be able to read everything <laughs> and then use the sources that you have and, and, and rely on the team as well. Because we have great people today. I, I did a webinar. And in preparation to that, as I have again also discussing with the team, because you cannot be on everything every day, but having an amazing team, you can use that in your favor. It helps. Definitely. It helps, right? <laughs> it helps. Um, as I said, I would love to do another part two or whatever. And, uh, you know, as I said, you, you're someone who gives me joy when we've caught up in the past. And particularly, as I said, at the moment in a time where you're going through a very difficult period, I'm extremely appreciative uh, of the fact that you took the time, you know, on your way, you just literally started back. It was like at work and you spoke at our, our conference um which was online and you know you were so gracious with that and this is the thing where i always say to people we're very thankful of our speakers like as in people got no idea sometimes that they're like the the how kind people are in terms of uh, they're giving up and as i said you really uh it was a difficult time with covid and everything going on and i spoke to you and i was just like wow your attitude is awesome i loved it so thank you so much for that thank you for sharing your experience um as i said like you know the more people that are like you share sharing this type of uh, experience personally and professionally because again it's nonsense to think that the two things don't are <laughs> don't so finely intertwined um i just think makes the world a better place so thank you for your contribution in that it's been an absolute privilege uh to have you on the podcast interview you and as i said when you said that you were keen to be on it i was so happy <laughs> like i was doing a, i was doing a little jig so um as i said because I, I think i said i think you've got a really um you know you're a force for good in the world um uh, uh so thank you for that and i said i appreciate it because you know again not not only you but other people in in a prominent position within sport you know, people chuck a lot of uh um, or f put a lot of heat your way right because again like you know you mentioned it on our football um <laughs> conference like hey yeah we should take some time to look at some of the good stuff that we've done because i think in this sector we're all guilty all the time looking at the best the next best commercial deal that's done uh you know they've done, reached this data agreement but did they really think about it we're always looking for this like critical our critical minds we're always looking for the problem and never really looking and going, hey, there's some excellent stuff that's been going on. So um, that's a very long-winded way 
of saying thank you. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Um, yeah, uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And oh, I should do this. I should do the sign off. I'm so lost in praising you. I've forgotten to do the sign off. So I'll do the sign off now. And I was going to say also, because yeah. I just saw that, like when you mentioned my father, I lost the moment to say that, you know, that's the reason why I did sports law and that's why I love football so much. But yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. I said, because your father, the thing I love that people don't know is that your father always tunes in, which I love. So, yes, uh, my dad is always, you know, in, in, in the background. And I always joke that he's the best Asian in the world because he's always he's speaking highly of me. Uh, when actually he's, he's no, he's my, my role model, not only my best friend, but also the reason why, why I'm so into football, so passionate about football and about law as well. And so definitely he's my role model. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to, oh, at some point I want to, I said, I said to you, I want to meet him. I love this, like, um... I just think it's 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 really great when um, you have that type of relationship, and I just love the fact again. Uh, you say seventy two? Is that right? Seventy two. Seventy four. Sorry, yeah. I'm making him younger. He'll like me. That if he's <laughs> exactly. Um, but he's tuning into webinars and stuff like that to see what you're saying, and um, I just love that. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, remember, if you want to know the latest information around the latest legal developments. And analysis from the world of sport, go to lawandsport.com, follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, pretty much everywhere you can imagine. Um, and of course, you know, we pride ourselves on providing accurate and informative legal information. All of our content's peer reviewed. We also care about community. So if you love what we do, if you get value from it, please do share this information with people, right? It's not just... You know, keep saying it, but it's not just enough for one of us to hold this information, to be the one person that looks at it. Try and be an amplifier, trying to share that information with other people so they can benefit from it. That's how we improve things as a whole. And I think there's a lot of opportunities in the sector. And if we can, you know, again, take some of the compassion that Erica was talking about, you know, we can be a force for good in the sector. So if you love what we do, please tell people, tell people about it. And of course, if you think and you've learned and take something away as much as I did from what Erica was talking about, her experience, her journey in, in sports law, but also her personal journey in a battle against cancer and, and how that's changed her perspective, which I think should be the default for how we all approach approach work. And I'm going to take some notes away from this and reassess how my day's going. Um, please do tell people about it. That is how we are successful. That is everything to us. We don't take money for advertising. We don't do that. We're completely independent. Word of mouth is everything to us. So if you enjoy it, and again, of course, you know, please, you know, reach out to Erica as well. I'm sure it mean a lot to her. And thank you so much for tuning in, whatever time of day it is. Thank you, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.